Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. You'll notice a resignation theme to the program today. The story changes once again with Jim Wilson's resignation. New details come out with Tony Clement's resignation. And will Jeff Sessions' resignation threaten the Mueller investigation? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Lots of allegations going on about sexual impropriety, uh, none the least of which, of course, was with, uh, well, I guess now uh, former uh, Cabinet Minister Jim Wilson and uh, the announcement made earlier this week that uh, he had, well, resigned. Well, Premier Doug Ford talked to the media about this yesterday. And, uh, well, if we were looking for clarity from the Premier, uh, I'm not so sure that we actually got what we were looking for. And I commend them for coming forward and having that courage. But I can assure every single person at Queen's Park and on our team, I'm going to protect them right to the nth degree. And when they ask me not to contact the media or make it a public story, they're a priority. They're a priority, and with all due respect to the media, they trump the media. Uh, Interesting turn of phrase there. But anyway, this was, of course, in response to a question as to why they did not mention anything about sexual impropriety but Jim Wilson's resignation. Remember, the first uh, inkling we got of this from the government was that, uh, well, you know, he he had a, 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 an abuse a sexual abuse problem. It's some uh, so he's he's gone into treatment uh, to get some, uh, some addiction situations and, and on and on it goes. It was not until some digging by Global TV that uh, we actually got the uh, the truth on this, and now they had to do a little backtracking. Alan Carter, the anchor of uh, Global News at five thirty and six, and of course the host of Focus Ontario, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this morning. Alan, how you doing today? I'm good, Bill. How about yourself? Good. Did, did you uh, talk to me about your reaction to what the premier said yesterday? I was watching you on following you on Twitter yesterday morning as we were trying to make some sense as to what the premier was saying here. Does 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 this explanation that he gave us pass the smell test? Well, I, I find it a little odd that the the premier's justification, his central justification for not revealing the true nature and the true reason for Mr. Wilson's resignation, was to say that. And his quote was, it would take the media about three seconds to figure out who this person was, the accuser. And they'd publish that name, and after that, no other accuser would ever come forward. Well, that assumes a number of things. One, that we would find out who it is. And two, that we would publish, that we would reveal the name of someone who is alleging that they were abused by someone in power. And you know very well, Bill, that there are standards and practices in journalism. If there's ever a charge, we we are legally uh, bound by not revealing a, a victim or an accuser. And I think the proof is in the pudding. Travis Danaraj, our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, broke this story Monday at noon. And to my knowledge, no one has published the name of the person who is making this accusation. You know, there's another element to this, too. And, and you, I mean, you did the Queen's Park thing for years and years and years, and I know you still kind of love to hang out there. Uh, there's, there's a code there. Over and above what the rules are, Alan, there's really a code when it comes to, to reporting and journalism. And, and by and large, I mean, everybody that I know, and I'm sure most of the folks you know, follow that code to a T. And, and nobody wants to out somebody who's been a victim by anything if they don't want to be outed. I mean, that, that to suggest that that's actually what was going to happen, I think, is a little bit ludicrous. And I think it's a slap in the face to journalists. Well, it is. I mean, it, it you know, 
the premier made pains uh, during his comments yesterday saying, oh, it's not the media's fault. I mean, you got a job to do. I'm not blaming the media. But yet he was. He was saying that he is justified in misleading the public as to the true reason of the resignation of a top minister because the media cannot be trusted. And I think that that has some echoes of what we hear south of the border, and I think it's worrying. Well, absolutely. I mean, he's basically painting everybody in the media with the same brush and saying, you know, that you guys are the enemy, that uh, that I have to do what I have to do for the, the good of the people, and you guys are getting in the way. Uh, I, it, it bothered me as soon as I heard that explanation, obviously because of the ramifications of it. But he's also skirting, I think, the bigger issue here, that, and he's suggesting that, that he doesn't have a responsibility to the media. But he, he may or may not feel that way, Alan, but at the end of the day, he's got a responsibility to the public, doesn't he? Well, I, I think you would just have to ask yourself, Bill, if Kathleen Wynne, if this had happened under Kathleen Wynne, imagine the howl that would come from across the aisle. And so it, it, it's a bit rich to, to cloak yourself in this, I'm protecting my people, uh, you know, sort of thing, it, while, denying, while denying the public a knowledge of what really is happening and why it is that someone with the kind of breadth of experience and, uh, you know, the, a person with key portfolios like Jim Wilson, who's all of a sudden not just out of cabinet to go seek uh, help for addiction issues, but also out of caucus and sitting as an independent. That is a severe move and deserves an explanation. And when we get this political talk like Ford has done and like other political leaders have done, I, I mean, just to tie the two stories together, now you can understand, uh, you know, the frustration of a guy like Jim Acosta that says, look, I'm tired of the BS. I'm just trying to get a straight answer. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people that in the media scrum yesterday when the premier was doing this were feeling the same way. You, you know, it's a political dance, and we all get that, that politicians want to stick to talking points, and it's the it's the journalist's job to try to get the truth out of there. But when he simply says, that, you know, I'm, I, I'm justified in not telling the truth, that's a, that's a kind of a Nixonian uh, approach to, to what they're supposed to be doing and the relationship they're supposed to have with the media. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's an apt description. And it also just assumes some basics, such as uh, that the media's role and that the media's desire is only to publish juicy, slanderous, and salacious stories, that that is... That is, the, that is the role of journalism, except for, you know, I, I would say that the role of journalism was to uncover and broadcast the truth of what's really happening and to inform the public about what's really going on, as opposed to the government spin that you might get from the propaganda organ uh, Ontario News Now. And so I, 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 find that, I find that really troubling that here in this province, you are seeing that aping of that you know, casting the media as, I mean, I'll, I'll be clear, the premier didn't say this, but south of the border, you hear enemy of the people. And so there's this sort of this context in Ford's comments yesterday that say, I have to protect people from you, the media. And I think that's dangerous. There's a little inside baseball stuff here for all the years that you were doing the Queen's Park thing, and, and I've talked to Badger Brennan about this and, and, and other people that have covered uh, Queen's Park or Parliament Hill for that matter. You hear stuff, 
I mean, there are rumors abounding. When there are that many politicians and, and staffers are around, there's this inside information. There's, hey, this person has this, this idiosyncrasy. You don't publish that stuff. You don't talk about that in your reports. It's just hearsay stuff that, yeah, it may or may not be true. So it's there. But for Ford to uh, you know, assume and, and actually kind of intimate here that every little juicy tidbit that you guys get your hands on, you're going to rush right out there and that's going to be the lead story at 530. It's, first of all, it's not true. And, I, and, and again, like I say, it's, I find it insulting. I and mean, this is a guy who hasn't spent a whole lot of time in, in politics and doesn't really seem to have much of a, uh, uh, an understanding of the role of the journalists in this whole process. No, and he also carries a grudge, which is, you know, which is difficult to deal with sometimes during his um, leadership campaign. Uh, Mr. Ford refused to speak with me um, because he was very upset with an interview that I did with him during the launch of his book, where he, this is prior to his, um, you know, joining the, the political fray. This is after his mayoral run. He released a book about his but his late brother, and I challenged him on a number of the basics in, in his book, and he didn't take it very well, and he thought I was insulting Rob Ford. And so that was it. He's not going to talk to me. And, I mean, this is like, you know, 18 months later. So it gives you a sense of the kind of relationship he has with the press uh, and how he views the press. He views the media as um, an adversary, which, you know, I, I suppose I can understand why, perhaps, um, you know, considering his experience at City Hall with his brother. But it's it's certainly not very healthy. And I think you saw an absolute manifestation of the way that the premier thinks yesterday and on Friday when he just assumes that now the press is the enemy, the media is the enemy of the people that I'm supposed to be protecting, that's if you take at face value what he said and you don't just believe that it's snow. Look, there's, yeah, and there's a greater concern here, and I understand some of the people listening to our conversation right now are fans of Rob Ford and, and think that he's, you know, he's, or, and, or Doug Ford or anyone of the Fords, and, and, you know, that's their kind of politician. And I get that, okay, and that's, that's quite understandable. But we need to be very, very cognizant of the fact that there are politicians that always want to control the narrative. I think every politician probably wants to control the narrative. But at the same time, when they say, I will only release to the public information that I think they need to have, and everything else is, is none of their business, that's, that's a dangerous path we're going down. Well, and, and, and look at what happened since Friday, too. I mean, I think, I think it's important to take into context a couple of the other things that have happened. So Friday becomes the announcement that uh, the Minister Wilson is resigning to seek treatment for addiction issues. Monday morning, behind closed doors, they shuffle the cabinet and they name a whole bunch of new people and change faces in cabinet. They do that behind closed doors, and then none of those ministers emerge to answer questions. Why? Because there would be questions. There would have been questions about why did Wilson resign? A few hours after that, Global News broke the story about the real true reason behind Wilson's resignation. So it, it, you know, the, the Ford government was happy to not tell the truth on Friday and was happy to, uh, you know, shuffle up the cabinet and do it behind closed doors and not answer any questions and just go to ground and clearly hope that this would just all blow over. And, and again, the, the, there are questions, I think, that need to be answered. I, the first one I had when I, the story broke, and, and I saw you, you reporting on it at 530 that night, 
with Travis, of course, from Queen's Park, was what about the vetting process? I mean, you, you're trying to tell me that you were not aware that there were problems like this when you selected your cabinet or your staff, for instance. We haven't even talked to an Andrew Kinder yet, or Kimber, rather, uh, who was also dismissed. He was a, a close associate of, of the premiers, and obviously there was something going on with them. And, uh, you know, the public has to, has to ask themselves, there's a credibility issue at stake here, isn't there, well, I think so. I mean, you know, in, in the case of Andrew Kimber, who has been accused of sending um, sexually charged texts to another female staffer at Queen's Park, and, uh, and according to sources talking to Travis Danraj, that, that one of the people that um, got these unwanted sexual texts is a sitting MPP. And so to just say, well, he's gone, and not explain why, and not and not announce it and not say a thing about it and pretend that it has not happened, that, that's a concern. I, 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 think that, I think that for a, a premier and a government that espouses transparency and says they're going to be transparent, that does not appear to be very transparent at all. Well, then he doubled down on it yesterday, Alan, when you know, he was pressed on that. Well, we've launched an investigation. Well, who's doing that? Well, I'm not telling you. Uh, how long is it going to last? Well, we're not telling it. And and it, what about the results? Well, we're not going to give you the results once the investigation is completed. Is that is that transparency? Is that his definition of transparency? And and on top of that, Bill, did you listen to the language he used about uh, Mr. Wilson and Mr. Kimber? He said, uh, you know, we can't blame the assailant or the complainant. It's not their fault. This issue lies with these two people. When I find out about it, they're done. They're gone. They're finished. I'm like, well, did you just, are you ju- the judge and jury now? So why are we having an investigation if you have decided that they're already? Like, there was absolutely not even an attempt to shade it as we're going to look into this. We take it very seriously. We always believe those who come forward. We're going to uh, have the investigation. and We're going to figure out what really happened. No, there was none of that. It was when I found out about it, they were gone, finished, done, not coming back. I would okay. imagine, Alan, the uh, the legal representatives of both Mr. Wilson and Mr. Kimber, and I'm sure they have them at this stage, uh, would be a little upset about that and, and the lack of due process in the situation. I mean, uh, you know, this is the hanging judge that uh, that just, you know, has passed judgment on these guys. He just said he's going to do an investigation, then he's already convicted the two of them. Well, yeah, and I mean, we don't know what uh, Mr. Wilson, I keep wanting to call him Minister Wilson, he's been a minister for so long, yeah. and, or he's been in government for so long, 30-plus years. You know, Jim Wilson, we don't know what he said. So, you know, because we had asked the premier yesterday, you know, did he say, yes, I did these things, and that is that why you feel so confident in saying these things? Well, he wouldn't He wouldn't say that. As for Mr. Uh, Mr. Kimber, if it is true that sex um, and, and sexually charged texts exist, then you could say, well, you know, it's tough to refute that. Like, there's a thing on your phone, right? Um, so you, you wonder about that, but... But most politicians and most people in public life would have shaded that to have at least given a nod towards process. You'd like to think, especially, as you say, a guy that espoused, you know, transparency. You know, we're going to be better than the last government. We're going to be open and honest with everybody. I guess unless it doesn't suit their purposes. I guess that was the qualifier that we didn't really hear. Well, I mean, it's easy to throw around the word cover-up, and you know, the Premier likes to throw it around pretty easily, talking about the Liberals and money. Oh, they weren't just cooking the books, they were frying them. Well, I think what happened last week and what happened on Friday, I think that you could make a pretty good case that that's an attempted cover-up. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if the shoe fits. So you got a cabinet shuffle. You've got this controversy going on. Uh, so not much to talk about on Focus Ontario no. this week, I guess. No, we've got nothing. No. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 we're going to look into that. We're also going to look into uh, the Tony Clement situation, yeah. which is also just bizarre because not only this whole catfishing issue, but him, you know, the, the, all this evidence coming out now that he's been constantly liking Instagram posts of young women for years and, and, and the sort of, you know, odd behavior. So there's that angle that we're going to look at that as well. And then we're going to play much more of that Doug Ford presser that we've been talking about. For You know, for a lot of people, you just see like a 15 seconds on the news. Join us, Focus, 1130, Sunday morning. Also Saturday at 530, we have that um, broadcast scheduled this weekend. And you can see much more of what we're talking about and judge for yourself. And, of course, uh, check out Global News at 530 and 6 tonight to get the, furthest, uh, the latest details on what's going on. Alan, as always, thanks so much for the time today. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate being on. Alan Carter, of course, the anchor of uh, Global News at 530, co-anchor along with Power, of course, and the host of Focus Ontario. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just talking with Alan Carter, of course, from Global News uh, about what was going on at Queen's Park with Jim Wilson and the uh, the staffer the, from the Ford administration uh, that uh, are gone now uh, because of... Well, sexual improprieties. In, in uh, Mr. Wilson's case, uh, we're told that he actually, uh, uh, I guess, approached somebody in, in, in a not good fashion. And we don't even know the details, but, I mean, it's there. And, and of course, he's been relieved of his duties. Uh, on the heels of that came the, uh, the news, of course, of a, a federal member, that would be Tony Clement, of course, uh, who actually had a, a press conference and, and admitted that, yes, he was guilty of uh, inappropriate sexual texting. Uh, and uh, at the time that he made that admission up in Ottawa, uh, he intimated at that time that this is just a one-off thing. It only happened one time, and 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 as a result, as actually he says he's you know he's being blackmailed. Uh, apparently, somebody's threatening to release the the stuff that he actually sent them, unless he uh, pays them fifty thousand euros. Uh, now, though, we're starting to get some indications from other people on Instagram that no, this is not a first-time thing. That Tony Clement is uh, doing this a lot. Uh, at least one individual that has come forward on this and suggested that uh, he likes to like uh, on Instagram, you know, hit the like button, uh, lots of young, attractive girls. And uh, she described his uh, his actions as creepy, and I'm sure there are others who feel the same way. I want to bring Lenore Lacassic-Foss into the conversation. She, of course, is the director of SASHA, that being the Sexual Assault Center uh, here in Hamilton and area. Lenore, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Oh, it's great to be here to talk about this uh, issue that I think is on folks' mind again. You know, we've talked in the past about the, the Harvey Weinsteins and the Kevin Spaceys uh-huh. and Bill Cosby's and the list is long. I, I did a blog about this the other day, and the top, uh, the, com- the topic of the blog and the, the title I used was, When Will the Lesson Be Learned? And and I don't know the answer to that, Lenore. Yeah, I think, you know, you know we're still seeing at this point fairly high-profile folks um, and, you know, the, every day the reality is still really difficult. And I think what we're also hearing, even in this Tony Clement story, is that there are a lot of women that are not comfortable to share their experiences. And, you know, we're hearing from folks, particularly those in Ottawa, um, that are, you know, activists and, and, and journalists, et cetera, in Ottawa, that this was one of those, again, quote-unquote, open secrets about his kind of, you know, creepy behavior on social media. And, again, I know it's 
confusing for listeners because it's not behavior that necessarily meets a, a threshold, I don't think at this point, of, of harassment or anything criminal, but that was targeted at all women, younger women uh, of a particular profile. And again, this is a, a, a an older man with quite a bit of power politically. So it starts to set up that same dynamic again. Well, and, and you have to wonder about the mindset in situations like this. And, and, and again, obviously, you know, our concern has to be with the victims, but this is a, a behavioral problem here that that I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by in, in situations like this. And you're absolutely right. When you've got a high-profile individual like Tony Clement or like Bill Cosby or, mm-hmm. you know, go down that long list, which yeah. sadly that list is getting longer all the Patrick time. Brown, yeah, there's been a uh, yeah, lot. Yeah, go right down. Is, 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 is the excuse, you're, you're right, there's always talk. And and there are probably people that do have knowledge that say, oh, yeah, he does that. Yeah, he's... Yeah. He, uh, but it's just well, that's just him being him, uh, you know. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, guys yeah. that guys are like that, yeah. and and yeah. apparently that that mindset is still prevalent. Yeah, yeah, and I, I absolutely that mindset is still prevalent, and and it, it really it's about this idea of of not even I think an awareness that not even this beha- that this behavior that you're engaging in is wrong. And, and, you know, there might be some people listening, oh, you know, what's a big deal about liking things on social media or engaging? But, you know, we're talking about some consistent behavior. Um, you know, it's not just liking uh, general pictures on Instagram. It's liking selfies of women, uh, just women, not sort of other people, young women. That is a consistent pattern that you think, yeah, like, hasn't this message gotten out there? But I think when we talk about how prevalent this, these attitudes are, that's what we mean, that folks don't even know that they are engaging in this behavior and then get caught out and, and, and everyone kind of says, yeah, this, is, this isn't okay, but, you know, they're not even having an awareness that what they're doing often is a big deal or they don't care that it's a big deal. Well, and we're not sure which, which attitude that is, no, whether it is. right. It, we can't speak for Mr. Clement. But both are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't much matter if you truly believe it or if you just if if you just want to be dismissive of it. The fact of the matter is if you're if you're to use that one lady's uh, phraseology, if you're creeping somebody out, uh, you you're going down the wrong path. That that's yeah. period end of sentence. There's not much discussion to be had after that, is there? Yeah. And I think what was interesting for me listening to one of the victims, you know, she talked about how she would that the only reason she's able to talk about this is that the climate has changed because of the courage of victims standing up. Um, you know, which we shouldn't have to, we should be able to have an environment where this doesn't happen. But, you know, the, the one of the victims said, I wouldn't have been able to talk about this a few years ago because everyone would have said, you're overreacting, what's your problem, it's no big deal. There would be consequences about her journalistic career. And I think that she said, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm at the age now and my career is stable. I don't want to take this. Why should, why should young women or women, any women have to put up with behavior from people in power that is like this? And that's a very good question. Why Why? Why is that okay? And would our daughters, our mothers, our aunts, our friends, is that, is that what we want them, the world that we want for them? Yeah, and, and, and you know, we can relate this to the Queen's Park situation, too. The, the staff were apparently they were sending yes. st- you know, uh, what, what they called you know, lewd texts out. Uh, and apparently even one of the uh, female MPPs in the Conservative Caucus was one of the recipients of these things. Uh, which begs the question, Lenore, where's the filter? Where's yeah. to say, you know what, here's a, here's a joke or here's a whatever it is, I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to forward this. I'm going to send this off to somebody else, even if it's not your creation. You see this stuff on social media all the time. Yeah. And people yeah. think it's it's funny to say, oh, I'm going to send this off to people. You're, you know, you're, you're perpetrating the act if you do that. 
Yeah, and I think this is, and I, I appreciate that there might be folks out there saying, well, I don't understand, and I don't, what's okay now? And then and then what we see is sometimes this this um, backlash reaction or hysterical reaction that says, oh, you know, I don't want to, I'm a guy, and I don't want to be alone with a woman in a room because I'm going to be accused of something. Well, that's absolute not, absolutely not true. I was going to say something stronger, but I checked myself there. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that people... False reports of these kinds of behaviors are extremely rare. They're they're not they're no more uh, than than someone claiming that they were physically assaulted by someone uh, falsely. Like this is not something people make up. So I get that people might be saying, "Well, what's appropriate behavior?" But I think it's important to learn, do some reading, listen to women, talk to people in your life about what makes people uncomfortable. Learn social cues. When someone looks uncomfortable, that's your sign. Uh, that this is not cool. Apologize for things that you've done that are creepy or inappropriate or have crossed the line further. Be accountable. I mean, there's there's lots of things that we can do in this climate. There's tons of things to read, like starting with your blog, for example. There's good material out there if you're a man and you'd like to get educated. Well, and a lot of it's common sense. I mean, you know, I, I know some I people so. try to justify, well, I'm just a touchy-feely sort of a person. Well, yeah. you know, that doesn't mean everyone else is. And if it makes somebody else feel uncomfortable, don't do it. Exactly. And I think I, I mean, Bill, I'm so glad I, I appreciate your optimism. And I try to keep keep that, that that it is common sense. It seems like common sense to me. But I think so often people uh, that I talk to seem, you know, I sometimes, you know, seem to feel confused about what's appropriate behavior. But it's very clear to me, you know, you you don't engage in behaviors that are not consensual. So I, you know, where I what I will say is I, I, I'm, I don't think it's okay to blackmail people. Like if you have consenting adults sharing pictures or sexting, that's okay. You know, you might not like it that he was married and those kinds of things, but extorting people, that's never okay. But, you know, for me, there's, there's, if it's not comfortable, if it's not being received, if it's crossing a line into any touching or behavior that's criminal, that's just not okay. Well, yeah, and you've actually opened up a whole different chapter to this that I think is is a, a greatest concern is is obviously the impropriety here. Yeah. Is, I mean, this guy is a public figure, and he he was sitting on a, 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 an intelligence committee yeah. for heavens for the. Yeah. Uh, you're setting for yourself sure. up. I mean, that that's another element of this too. It may be not the yeah. most, you know, it may be the top priority, but the fact of the matter is, is you know, the the best way to not put yourself in a compromising situation is don't open yourself up to it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I again, I while I I understand the nuanced concerns around his security, and I get that people might be saying, well, why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because he had access to state secrets or, or, or you know national secrets for Canada. I mean, that's a uh, uh, security. These are big things that he has access to, and so yeah, like you might think, okay, are there are there kinds of things you want to be aware of that could put you at risk for being blackmailed for you know national secrets. But that being said, I still think it's really important that we don't blame victims of these kinds of things. I, I'm very sad that we live in a world where if it is consenting and if this, you know, if Mr. Clement, as, as you know, we might not be comfortable because of his family situation, if he engaged in something that he believed was consensual, consensual with another adult, we shouldn't have to be blackmailed in our world, but unfortunately that happens. But it still it still doesn't excuse the security concerns. Somebody once told me years ago when we were having this discussion, said any don't anything that you want to post, anything that you want to write, any picture that you want to send, uh, would you feel comfortable with it on the front page of the newspaper the next morning with your name on it? And if yeah. the answer is no, then don't do it. 
Don't yeah, send it in the first place. In other words, you know it's wrong, and you yeah. think you can do this under the, the guise of anonymity on social media. There's yeah. no such thing on social media as anonymity. Yeah, I think, yeah, and this is what we're looking at, the real risks of this new medium, you know, because it, was, it wasn't it was that long ago that the concern would be photos, right? Yeah. Like actual things you touch, not on your phone, that, you know, would be mailed, and then, you know, people would be blackmailed, you know, potentially around sharing an actual copy of a picture with someone that had sexual content, or actual tapes, like remember the days when, you know, sex tapes, and that, and now it's online, and that just ramps the risk up much more. That being said, I still wish we lived in a world where, um, you know, people would have to get blackmailed if it's consenting, again, if it's consenting. Well, and there's an investigation going on about that element of it, uh, I guess. We're yeah. told that uh, the RCMP or somebody up there is investigating that. So I guess we'll get more details about that in the fullness of time. Sure. When, when stories like this break, though, and, and this is a variation on a theme that you and I have talked about in the past, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when things like this, does, does it does it help victims? Does it help the, 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 the targets of this sort of thing to, to, to embolden them to say, I want to come forward, I want to talk about this? I think for some victims, for sure, but we still really see, Bill, that, that reality of, of very vulnerable victims. They might be young women starting out in their career. They may be in very vulnerable jobs. We look at the reality that so many young folks are in contract, uh, what we call precarious employment. So I think there's a lot of people that are still not com- comfortable. Um, and we look at, you know, in, 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 in different kinds of work, uh, factory work or work that's minimum wage or lower um, uh, you know, it's or, or more precarious as contract work, people are not coming forward. And the difficulty for us at the Sexual Assault Centre, we want victims to reach out for help. We want to be there, you know, but the, we're also facing massive wait lists for our counselling program because we're not getting the government funding. So on the one hand, all this stuff is going on, but we have a government that doesn't seem to be recognising the need for victims' support. On that note, uh, because you know, as you mentioned, there are people listening in this that, that may actually be victims or potential yeah. victims in situations like this. But there are others, and, and you touched on this earlier, uh, you know, to do with the, these high-profile individuals that probably know something like this is going on, yeah. uh, but do nothing or say nothing because, well, yeah. that's a buddy of mine, and I don't want to ruin the friendship, yeah. or or I might get in trouble myself if I do this. Yeah. I, I'm afraid of the ramifications. Uh, and and I would point out the the don't be a bystander program that yeah. Nancy Smith and the folks at Interval House and so many yeah. others have jumped on board with in the last little while. And I know that you're a strong advocate for this. Is yeah. that you do have to speak up, and you don't necessarily so. have to go to your superior and say, "Hey, Joe Blow over there is doing it," mm-hmm. but talk to them and say, "You know, you could get yourself in trouble." Just to, maybe even a gentle reminder, uh, yeah. or just a little you know intimate that look at. This is wrong, and uh, you know if that's what you're going to do, that's your decision. But just understand there could be ramifications. It may give them pause. It may actually make them reconsider. Yeah, no, Bill, and it's funny I said earlier. I think so. I I know so. I know intervening is what we need to do because if if you're not helping the person who is being victimized by this person, then you're helping this person get away with it because our silence is is sort of complicit. We are saying this is okay, and this is what we talk about when we talk about the culture that allows or the environment that allows these behaviors to happen, that if we don't have our bros and our friends and our, you know, family saying, hey, dude, like, that's not cool, or that's not funny, or hey, that's, you know, that that person's really drunk, like, that's not okay. Like, you, if we don't have those folks intervening, we're allowing that culture to happen where, where people are getting hurt, and we're seeing it, we're seeing 
that we can't we can no longer close our eyes to the reality of workplace sexual harassment and sexual assault. Like we we just can't. And if you want to still go under that rug, you're you're getting into the be the minority now. We you know we can't argue anymore. So speaking up is really important. And there are there's great resources if you're not sure how to do it. And we do training like. If you're in a workplace or you are, you know, someone listening thinking, well, I don't know what to do, contact Sasha. We, we do training around how do you support these situations? How do you intervene? Well, and, and I think, you know, the stories that we've had this week especially, and there just seem to be a plethora of them all of a sudden, and, and which I think is, is a, a strong indicator that this is happening a lot. Uh, yeah. These these are the reported ones. These are the high-profile individuals. Oh, yeah. this, this is ongoing every day, all the time. Um, I can absolutely tell you that. This is not news. Uh, it's news because of who and because of that it's coming out, but it's not it's not new. And 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 therein lies the problem that uh, yeah. that you know for those that may be anonymous or not known to a whole lot of folks, but it's happening in the workplace. And yeah. uh, and I'm hoping, I guess the, the you know the glasses have full approach to this is hopefully this will will create a conversation, serve as a catalyst for conversation in the workplace. Uh, so that people can be aware of this. And, and like you say, don't be a bystander and talk about this. Yeah. And, and think before you, you hit the send button or, or whatever it is. Or, you know, just yeah. reread. I mean, th- and rethink exactly what you're doing here. Uh, there may well be some people that don't think, you know, that they're really hurting somebody. But, you know, I go back to your original point at this point, Lenore. If it's going to make somebody uncomfortable, then don't do it. Don't say it. Don't touch them. Don't do anything. Whether it's a male or a female, it doesn't much matter. Exactly. We know that the majority of folks out there, men and women, are are good people that want to help. And we know the majority of men are not engaging in this behavior. There are uh, repeated serial offenders, as we keep hearing in these stories, where, you know, one person is engaging in lots of inappropriate or sometimes crossing the line into uh, criminal behaviors. And that's, you know, we have a responsibility in our communities to to say how we want folks to live, to stand up and, you know, Thinking about your 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 wife, your girlfriend, your sister, your daughter, whomever the women in your community, it's not okay. Just a quickie. I've got about a minute left here, but if uh, for those listening to our conversation, it's, it's a good time to, I think to remind them uh, about the work that you do at Sasha. And and by the way, when we say you know if somebody who wants to seek assistance or get information or maybe even seek help uh, because they're in a situation like this, uh, you, it's you don't. Tell them you have to go to the public you know, the nope. authorities. You don't have to. This is nope. the, you. You're there just to help. We're there just to help. We we uh, don't tell survivors. We work with men and women, all genders. We don't tell you what to do. We're there to support. We're there to provide uh, resources to help you through that journey. Everyone's kind of a, a play at way that they heal is different. So we are here to support them to provide that counseling. Um, and if you do want to proceed with going to the authorities, we are there with you as well. It's, but it's totally your choice. And everything we do is anonymous, confidential, and free. So um, I don't want survivors out there to lose hope and feel like there's nothing for you. There is. And we do have a 24-hour support line. So if you just have questions and you, you know, you're not quite, quite sure what to do or, and you're a friend or a family member, you, don't have to, you can call. You don't have to be a survivor to call our 24-hour support line and just ask questions. Well, like I say, hopefully that will be the case, and folks will talk about this, and uh, that exchange of information and, uh, and and opinions, I guess, is obviously what's going to engender the conversation, and hopefully, yeah. hopefully acting as a mitigating factor to try to at least reduce this, if not eliminate it. Yes, Lenore- yeah, and thank you for keeping this uh, conversation going on your show and for the work that you're doing, writing and thinking about it. It's really important. Well, it's great to have you on again, Lenore. Thanks so much for this today. Okay.
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lenore Lacassic-Foss, the director of the uh, Sexual Assault Center here in Hamilton. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's been a lively week south of the border on the political scene. Obviously, the midterm elections were the headline. That's what everybody was uh, getting all up tight about, obviously, because of the impact that that could have. And, well, we saw the results. Of course, the Democrats uh, got the uh, hammer when it came to the power in the uh, House of Representatives. Uh, the uh, Republicans, of course, still maintaining the uh, balance of power in the Senate. But we figured after that that uh, that the Trump uh, President Trump was going to make some moves. He's been very displeased with a number of his senior staff over the last little while, uh, none the least of which, of course, was Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Ever since uh, Sessions recused himself uh, of any investigation into uh, wrongdoing in the uh, last presidential election campaign, uh, Donald Trump has made him a target. So we, we speculated yesterday on the show, as you may recall, when Laura Babcock was in here, that uh, that Trump was probably going to can Sessions at some point in the next little while. Well, it happened about an hour later. That And the headline is interesting on this. Uh, this the, you know, that story that everybody's carrying right now is that Sessions resigned. Uh, he was told to by the president. So, I mean, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. There's a little wordsmithing going on. But obviously it raises an awful lot of questions. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Elliot Tepper, a professor emeritus of political science at Carleton University. Elliot, good morning. Thanks so much for the time today. Good morning, Bill. Uh, this is the weird, I mean, just about everything we talk about here when it comes to Trump and, and the ramifications is weird. But this is not un, uh, really something that I think surprises anybody. I think, you know, Sessions was on thin ice right from the get-go, wasn't he? The post-election cleaning of house and changing of the guard and so forth was anticipated. And by the way, uh, watch for whatever happens tomorrow, because uh, the, the changes aren't likely to stop. And Trump is a master at diversion and changing the subject. So I suspect he's not happy with what you and I are talking about and everybody else. So he may give us all something else to talk about tomorrow. Is he going to fall back into that pattern? Remember, at, at one point, I guess in the first year, really, of his administration, uh, there was it was a tradition. There was a Friday afternoon firing just about every week. Yes, you and I have talked about the daily chum. Yeah, uh, He'd get up early in the morning and get on Twitter and toss out something for the media to obsess over, and, and we all did. And meanwhile, all kinds of other things were happening uh, that we weren't paying attention to basically changing America in a radical fashion and moving it to the right. So uh, that's not, that pattern isn't likely to change. Let me ask you about why. And, and obviously, I mean, the recusal, et cetera, that's, that's going to be right at the top of the list. But the fact that the, uh, the Democrats took control of the House, is that what actually motivated? Was that the catalyst for this? The catalyst was, it was the first opportunity, literally the first opportunity he had to make this change after the results were known of the midterm elections. No matter how those elections came out, he would have done exactly what he did. Uh, the, the Mueller investigation is a mortal threat to his presidency, potentially. And it's also uh, offensive to him. He's also concerned that it's going to wander into areas that are um, embarrassing, to say the least, if not, if not even uh, constitutionally question, uh, leading to his possible removal from office. So. Uh, he would like this shut down. He w- didn't want the investigation in the first place. He's done everything he can to say that he's cooperating, but uh, not doing much to help out the Mueller people. So they, um, this, the firing is not a surprise. The, the way it was done is not a surprise. He did it by a tweet. Uh, he, did, he sent his chief of staff over. It was very insulting. 
he sent his chief of staff to say, clear out your desk, you're leaving right now. And then that letter was typed up. It was noticed on air, by the way, there was no date on that letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was opened up with, as you've instructed, uh, I'm now uh, handing in my resignation. He may have had that in his top drawer for a while. But the irregularity of the appointment afterwards shows that we are headed toward potential constitutional troubles. He did not appoint the deputy attorney general to be the acting attorney general. That's Rod, uh, Rod Rodenstein, and, and Rodenstein, and he would have been in the next, in, in the normal process, he would be the acting until somebody permanent was appointed. Uh, instead, we have now a person that was the chief of staff to Sessions, uh, who's increasingly coming out, we, nobody knew his name before, as truly a Trump loyalist. I've got a quote here, Bill, uh, that um, is startling. Uh, what's come out in the press a lot is uh, he's, Whitaker's on, on, on record as saying, well, you know, this probe has gone too far, and it's going into areas it shouldn't, and it should be wound up. But somebody else dug out a, a tweet that or a quote that he had not long ago saying, advice to the White House lawyers, do not cooperate with the Mueller lynch mob. That, to me, would be a disqualification, <laughs> something that says you can't over now, you can't be put in charge of overseeing that investigation. Well, and he did an op-ed piece that CNN published, I guess it was some months ago yeah. now, and, and there's one line in there that jumped out at me as well. It said Mueller has come up to the red line in the Russia 2016 election meddling investigation that he is dangerously close to crossing. Uh, and, and a number of law professors have already jumped in on this one, Elliot. I'm sure you've read some of their quotes as well, suggesting that, look, at that that, that means that the, the head honcho right now is presupposing where that investigation is going to go. And he said, as a result, he should recuse himself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the quote I just gave you, I think, is even Oh, yeah, that, under, that underscores it. Uh, but the chances of him recusing, <laughs> he was appointed there specifically uh, because Sessions did recuse himself. He was forced to, by the way. Sessions didn't do this out of uh, noblesse oblige or sense of high honor. He was forced to, once it was discovered, his own role, which he had not disclosed uh, in dealing with the Russians. He had no choice but to recuse himself. Uh, All of this suggests that we are in for a very bumpy ride because clearly uh, Trump has made a major move to affect the Mueller investigation in very substantial ways, uh, shutting it down, hobbling it, as, as Whitaker said, we'll just cut off all the money so they can't do anything. Also, uh, this is coming out, and uh, we're learning more. In order for any major action, for example, such as Mueller issuing a subpoena for the President of the United States, has to go through his overseer, yeah. that is, in this case, Whitaker. Uh, so now Mueller now needs permission from somebody who's put there specifically to undercut his investigation. And, and obviously, you know, we have to understand how the House is going to respond to this, House of Representatives, that is. And, of course, they're not sworn in yet, so I guess there's not much they can do it at this stage. But they, they kind of toned down the, the, the rhetoric a little bit. They dialed it down a little bit during the last couple of weeks of the campaign talking about the Mueller investigation. It seemed to slip people's minds, as a matter of fact. But even on election night, Elliot, uh, you started hearing from some of the, uh, the the victorious Democrats that, yeah, you know what, we're going to ramp this thing up now. Uh, we're going after his tax returns, which the House is allowed to do now. They can issue a subpoena for that. 
uh, and a number of other things. So uh, obviously that stoked the flames, and I guess that's probably what put the thought in Trump's head that, okay, i got to pull the plug on this right now and basically put my guy in charge of the investigation, which is what he wanted right in the first place. Yes, but as I suggested, I think he would have done it oh, yeah. no matter what. Uh, happened. If the Republicans, by chance, had kept the House, I think he would have done this in any event. Yes, there's two things about uh, the election and the timing and all. The first is that uh, Mueller wasn't heard from, talked about much uh, during the campaign because he chose to follow the normal rules of not interfering with at an electoral uh, time period. Mueller did not take any visible actions during the entire campaign. So that's one reason you didn't hear anything about him. He followed normal protocol. And the second is the Democrats were leery of saying, if you elect us, we're going to impeach uh, the president. They thought that was a a bad thing to be talking about for electoral purposes until the day after they got elected. Uh, The main point here, uh, which I think should be emphasized, is no matter what happens to Mueller, the election now of the Democrats to a majority in the House means investigations of the president are going to proceed no matter what. If Mueller is totally squelched, I mean Mueller being the report, is totally squelched, if it's, uh, if it's uh, submitted but not released, uh, the House now has subpoena power, they can call people for witnesses, they can actually get, I, I suspect, much of what Mueller has done and bring it back to life and to light. So the the change in Washington uh, in terms of what's going to happen in the future regarding investigations of the president has to do as much not with only Mueller, although we're still waiting, but with the fact that the Democrats now have subpoena power. How far can they go? I mean, I, I heard one person, I wasn't so sure but the, the, the accuracy of this, suggested that if they shut down the Mueller probe on Friday, that the, the, the new House can start their own probe on Monday. I mean, it would basically just you know part two of the same investigation. Okay, they can't do it until January. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they do it this Monday, uh, Friday, then the Republican majority, and that leaves uh, Nunez uh, in charge still of the judiciary. Yeah. So the... The, the loyalists are still in charge of the House. Uh, the, in terms of impeachment, the impeachment cannot happen unless something really egregious is found. And the reason is that we talk about impeachment, and it's a two-part process. Impeachment itself is just writing up a bill of particulars, and the House of Representatives does it. They pass it on to the Senate, and the Senate then has to approve in, ter- in order to remove the president by 60 votes. And the Republicans uh, will block any attempt to remove the president unless something so egregious is found that even the Republicans have to give in. And another small nuance here, Bill, is that the Senate, which was not likely to support any impeachment, uh, conviction on on the charges drawn up, the impeachment charges, anyway, that Senate has become much more uh, loyalist to Trump because the people in the Senate in the Republican Party, who might have opposed him, are no longer there, and they're replaced by people who feel they are beholden uh, to Trump and loyal to him. So it's a much more cohesive pro-Trump Senate. And and you can tell that by some of the, obviously, the things that have been stated. Mitch McConnell obviously has flipped totally to be a Trump supporter now. Uh, Lindsey Graham, who uh, was one of the people who was supposed to be a loyalist, 
uh, was on record, it was less than a year ago, as we recall, Elliot, yeah. that said that if they fire the special prosecutor, that we all hell to pay. Uh, now he doesn't like seem that. to be, he doesn't, doesn't seem to have a problem with it. No, uh, you and I have talked about this, I believe. The, uh, he's now just recently, yesterday, saying, no, I don't want to be attorney general. But his name certainly is prominent among those that might actually be hired uh, on a full-time basis because he's a loyalist. There's not, the Senate, uh, Ms. McConnell at one point said, we're not going to hold any hearings for a replacement. Remember, the, the attorney general has to be confirmed. Yeah. We're not going to confirm anybody if you fire Sessions because Sessions is one of us and you can't just fire him. He's not talking like that anymore either. What about the impeachment process? And I know that's a word that gets tossed around an awful lot. And, and, and we know that other presidents have been impeached. Uh, Nixon, of course, they, well, he resigned before they actually got to the, right. the nitty-gritty of that. Bill right. Clinton was impeached by the House, but not by the Senate. But the fact that it's always going to be blocked in the Senate, at least in this occasion, if, in fact, they do go through with these proceedings, uh, and it may well pass the House, uh, is, is it really nothing more than symbolic, though, at this stage, Elliot? We are two years away from the next election, the, the presidential election, and if the House can find material, which they remember, this it's, there's two different. We have to talk about what's going on here. Mueller is being asked to find things that would rise to the level where a jury might reasonably convict. That's a very high bar. Mm-hmm. The House doesn't have to do that. The House can say. Uh, although it's still a high buy, are high crimes and, and misdemeanors, which they can interpret <laughs> uh, a little more loosely than what the Mueller investigation has said. I've, I've said along that the Mueller probe could be written on the, the report on the back of an envelope. We didn't find anything that would rise to the level of, of removal uh, because a, a jury might uh, convict. So the House can, can now proceed, and they can bring out item after item after item, which might affect public opinion, even if no conviction is possible, as we head toward a presidential election. So it, it's still going to be, the, the information that, 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 that Mueller is getting right now is still going to be very germane then, even, even if it's not something that is going to lead to charges. The possibility that Mueller issues a final report, and keep in mind that he's got, and this is something that we should talk about, the new acting attorney general says that, you can only, the Mueller investigation's gone too far because you can only investigate possible collusion and you can't investigate other things, whereas the mandate for the Mueller investigation has a sentence in it saying uh, anything that's turned up as part of the ongoing investigation, we can then investigate, meaning we can look at not only possible collusion, which may or may not be easy to, you know, they need a real smoking gun, but also obstruction of justice. And we can now actually say the firing of Sessions and putting in of this loyalist is another example of obstruction of justice. But really they're talking about Comey and perhaps other things. But also then, what about the financial side and the money side? And this gets you into uh, the possibility of the Trump and Trump family and, and uh, Jared Kushner. That is a very ripe area for, of inquiry. So all of that... Um, still could add up to not being something where a jury might reasonably convict. Uh, whether we would ever see that report is a big issue. But the House, as I've said, can now go ahead with or without the Mueller inquiry and f- 
follow the same lines, and they probably will have access to whatever Mueller has done because they've got uh, enormous power now that they're a majority of the Democrats. So whatever Mueller has come up with, we're likely to know about, um, and the House is likely to pursue their own lines as well. Elliot, uh, we're just about out of time here. Thanks so much for this. Obviously, <laughs> and we'll be watching tomorrow, as, as you suggest, because you just don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. But always uh, always great to get your perspective on this. Thanks again. Oh, you're very welcome, Bill. Take care. Elliot Tepper, of course, uh, Professor Emeritus of uh, Political Science, specializing in U.S. politics at uh, Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.